I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but if you're working in the kitchen, cooking something up, and you go to the utensil drawer, and you're looking for, let's, let's say you're looking for a wooden spoon, and you're looking, you're looking, and there's, there's a set of tongs, there's a spatula, there's a whisk, there's a can opener. You can see all sorts of different things, but you can't, for the life of you, see the wooden spoon. And then someone comes over to help, because you obviously look lost and confused, and you're like, what are you looking for? A wooden spoon is like, it's right there in front of your eyes. Aren't you blind? We can be blind in different sorts of ways. We can think of blindness as just, you know, not having the ability to see, not being able to use our eyes, but we can also be blind like that, of not being able to see what's most important or not being able to see what it is we're looking for, not being able to see things in the right way. And another way that I see this come about was I, I like doing puzzles of all sorts, but particularly some word puzzles, and there's the kind where you get like a little grid of nine letters or something, say, and you need to find the big word that uses all the different letters. Now, if I see a couple of letters that make up a suffix, like something like I and N and G, then I'm, I'm going to start looking for ing words, words that end in ing. But once I get on that train of thought, I can't see any words other than ing words and then I'll, I'll rack my brain and rack my brain and end up giving up looking at the answers. Ah, oh, with something like generosity, which has an I and N and a G, just not in that order. But I couldn't see it because I thought I knew what I was looking for. I was only looking for the in words. I couldn't see anything else. And this kind of blindness, you know, it's not only in puzzles and things, but it affects the way that we engage with the world in, in life as well. So much of what we hear and so much of what we see, we, we kind of fill in the gaps with our presumptions, with our past experiences, with our own beliefs and our values. We, we read between the lines so much, so much so that we, we can actually see things very differently from how they are supposed to be or how they actually are. A couple of simple examples of that. Um, you can imagine someone who's a perfectionist. I'm sure there's nobody here who's a perfectionist, so this is a purely hypothetical thing that if a perfectionist sees a score of 99 out of 100, what are they going to look at? They're going to look at the one. <laughs> They're not going to see how great a job they've done, how well they've done on, in every other aspect. They're going to only be looking at that one because of that value, that belief that they have in their mind that it has to be perfect, and if it's not perfect, it's not good enough. Another way I can think of is if, is if there's this person that I don't like or I'm really annoyed with at the moment and I see them do something, and it might be a really kind action, a really good action, but I'm going to think, oh, they're just doing that to show off or they're just doing that to spite me or they're not normally like that. I'm, I'm more inclined to view that action negatively because I already think about them in a particular way. And the same could be said for someone that I really respect or someone that I really like, that I'm more inclined to view their actions in a positive light. So we, we can see things according to our previous thinking, according to our assumptions and that, and we can be blind to what's actually there. But we can also bring these kind of assumptions and presumptions to our relationship with God, and we can be blind to who God is. We can be blind to, to Jesus and what he's wanting to do in our lives. These same kind of presumptions or these same kind of um, misunderstandings can come into our theology, into our spirituality, into our relationship with God, and it can actually blind us to what God wants to do. Our gospel today is about a blind man receiving his sight. 
But the real way in which he receives his sight is, I think, not mainly about his eyes starting to work again, the healing miracle that Jesus does, but the, the more important thing is that he comes to see who Jesus is. We see this, he doesn't know Jesus at the beginning, but in the very last line of our reading today is that climax. It says that Jesus has come and spoken to him again, and it says, the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. That's the true sight that God wants to give us. And that's the true blindness that the Lord would want to overcome in us, that he would want to heal in us, that inability to see who Jesus is, that inability to see how God wants to work in our lives. But how is it that this blindness goes on within us? There's a few examples throughout the different readings today that I want to tease out. Firstly, in our first reading, we go back to Samuel. And Samuel has been, he's the prophet of Israel, and he's been asked by God to go and anoint a new king. God's choosing a new man to be king over the nation, and he goes out with his horn of oil to anoint him, goes out to Jesse's house. But Samuel has in his mind a presumption of, of the kind of man that God is going to choose. If this guy's going to be king of Israel, I reckon he's going to be big and strong. He's going to look like an authoritative leader, and he's going to be able to kind of take charge of the nation and lead us into the glory of God. Yeah. Then the first of Jesse's sons comes up, and he's like, yeah, yeah, look at this. This is a man. That's great. I, I think this is, man, this is God's guy. But God speaks to him and says, take no notice of his appearance or his height. Man looks at the appearances, but God looks at the heart. And then each of the sons gets presented, and God continues to say to Samuel, no, I haven't chosen him, I haven't chosen him, I haven't chosen him. And it ends up being the youngest, the boy who his father thought wasn't even worthy of being presented because David was still out in the field looking after the sheep. He was the one that God wanted to choose. But Samuel was actually able to bend. Yes, he had these presumptions going in. He thought he knew how God was going to move, but he was able to listen to God and to see what God wanted to show him. So he saw that David was the one that God was wanting to anoint, and he chose him. Some of the Pharisees in the gospel, though, are not quite so open. They're not able to listen to what God's doing, not able to see. Firstly, we can see how they, how they look at Jesus, what they think about Jesus. And they think that, okay, if this guy has broken the Sabbath, then there can be no work of God in him. We don't want to look at what he's done. We don't want to hear about what he said. If he's broken the Sabbath, that's it. We're, we've just written him off completely. They don't want a bar of Jesus at all. And then, as well, they bring a similar kind of condemnation on the blind man. They've listened to his testimony, not really to listen to him, but only to get at Jesus. But then, when, when he gets a bit presumptuous with telling him their story, they're like, oh, and you think you can preach to us, a sinner from your birth, because they think, okay, you've been born with this infirmity, clearly that's a sign of sinfulness in you, or a sinfulness in your family, that you're basically cursed from God, so you can't bring the word of God to us, you can't possibly reveal to us how God is acting in the world, because you're a sinner. They rule him off and they drive him out, again, because they can't look at actually what's happening in front of their eyes and see what God is doing. 
And the blind man himself easily could have gotten drawn up into these lies, into these, these fixed beliefs that the Pharisees had. He could have believed about himself that he was cursed as a sinner from birth because of this infirmity that he had. And then perhaps when he met Jesus at the beginning of this story, he wouldn't have even asked for the healing. He wouldn't have been able to open up to Jesus' healing because he would believe, no, God's, God's not going to heal me. This is a sign of sinfulness and I'm, I'm just cursed to suffer in this way. But no, he was open to meet Jesus and receive the grace of the healing. And then as well, he comes with his story to the Pharisees and he could have gone, oh, okay, if the Pharisees, if the, if the leaders are rejecting Jesus and rejecting what I thought was a miracle, then perhaps it wasn't a miracle, perhaps it wasn't the work of God. I'll just go back home and quietly and not tell anybody about it anymore. He could have fallen into that lie as well. But he had seen what Jesus had done. He had received this, this great gift from Jesus and there was, there was a courage in his heart from that, that he couldn't deny it. He could boldly, confidently tell anybody who asked, yeah, Jesus came, I was blind, he touched my eyes, now I can see. Like, that's amazing. He shares that story with so much confidence. And it's like he's saying to the Pharisees, like, you can try and convince yourselves that this is a work of evil, that this man isn't from God, but look at what's happened. This is great. And I, I can't deny that. The blind man is able to follow this encounter that he's had with Jesus. He's able to follow this great sign of the healing, even though he doesn't understand it all yet. He doesn't know who Jesus is fully yet, but he's still able to trust in him. He's still able to trust in the work that Jesus has done. And so Jesus comes to him and continues that work of revelation, continues the miracle today and reveals himself as the Messiah. And we see that the man comes to that true sight, the sight of faith to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He calls him Lord and he worships him. So we can open up our eyes to receive this sight that Jesus wants to offer us. And there's two, two encouragements I want to make from what we see in these readings of how we can overcome this blindness that might stop us from seeing how Jesus wants to act in our lives. And the first one is simply to be open to be proved wrong. To be open to be surprised. To be able to, to see that God might do something new that we weren't expecting, that we haven't seen before, that doesn't fit with my, my preconceived ideas of, of how God is in relationship with me or how grace moves in my life. God might move in a totally new way and invites us to be open, to bend to that, to listen to where he's leading us, to see what he wants to show us, even if we might not understand that. And the, the second thing that I would encourage you in is to trust when we see God moving. To trust in Jesus like the blind man did. Even if, like him, we don't, understand exactly what God's doing here. We don't understand it all yet. We don't know where exactly he's leading us. All we can see is the next step along that path, but that we can trust in him enough to take that step and to follow. Even though we don't understand all that it means, we can open up 
to this light that Jesus wants to shine into our lives. Because this light, Jesus himself, who says in this text, I am the light of the world, he wants to shine in upon our hearts, reveal himself, reveal who God is, and give us this true sight of faith. And if we open up to that, we'll be able to respond, respond and and know that Jesus is our Lord, claim Jesus as our Lord, to love him, to trust in him, and to worship him as this blind man did. Hello, Father Dan here. If this homily has been helpful, there are a few things I'd love for you to do. Firstly, subscribe to this podcast or share this episode with someone who might find it helpful. And consider also helping us to expand our mission and reach out to more people by donating at stbenedicts.com.au forward slash donate, or you can click on the link in the podcast description. Thanks so much for joining us and have a blessed week.